Is this just the best place to be or what? <sighs> Good to see all of you. Rain or shine. All right. Well, first of all, prayer cards. Right in front of your seat there, there's a green prayer card for praise. So if you need a prayer answered, prayer request, or you have a praise report, we got both. Please fill it out. We go over all those in staff. We pray over them. We rejoice when someone's prayer gets answered because it happens all the time. So fill that out. Get it up here in the offering bucket later or hand it to someone going out. And if you're a guest or visitor, if you raise your hot little hand, we want to welcome you today. We'll give you free coffee, donut. We want you just to hang around, enjoy yourself. Hand this in on the way out. Going. Go, got him over there. Okay, free donut. Reggie, put your hand down. <laughs> All right. Our off and running. Okay, hey, this Wednesday night starts our biblical citizenship series. And you know what? You are citizens of two years. Not. We're living here. We're part of it. Jesus wants us involved. But we are better than that, a citizen of heaven. So how do we combine the both? So you're not going to want to miss this. We're having pizza at... Um, six o'clock just for fellowship. Now, listen, I know it's rainy outside, another storm coming. We can do this. You know, I used to have this guy, one of my mentors, uh, Larry Dempsey, he'd travel over the United States and he'd say, I can go to New York in a snowstorm and they will pack out those churches. But in California, if it's like misting, it's storm alert. I'm going, man, he's right. So here's the thing. I don't care if it's rain or shining. We're having pizza at six o'clock. You're going to love it. We're going to enjoy each other's fellowship, and at 6.30, we're going to watch this biblical citizenship video. Yes. So watch this really – my gosh, I need more coffee this morning. Here's a clip to watch. I am Rick Green, America's Constitution Coach. I'm actually in the room where the Constitution was framed and where the Declaration was created and signed. This is Independence Hall in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. You know, a lot of times you ask yourself, how do I – become a good citizen? What do I do to live out my freedom in this amazing nation? How do I honor those who came before me that sacrificed for me to be able to have this freedom? And as a believer, how do I live out a biblical citizenship in modern America? Well, we're going to walk through all of those questions. We've got a lot of great people that are going to comment on that. And I'm going to teach you in this very room where the Constitution and the Declaration were created. I'm going to teach you the founding documents of America and the biblical worldview that was sown into our nation from the very beginning. So join us on this incredible journey, biblical citizenship in modern America. All right, so you don't want to miss that. It's not long, long. It's really going to be good, and we'll go through that. Okay, so before I give you this next announcement, I just want to say put in a rah-rah for kids' ministry, youth, young adults, connect groups, Ushers, greeters, media, security, you know, it takes a lot to run a church like this. We just don't come in and it just happens. It's more than just Bob getting up or Lynette and the worship team. They do a great job, but there's so much going on. We need everybody. When I, when I get up here and go, you guys are the choir, you're the choir, but you're more than that. There's just a lot that, that we do to keep the church running. So I thought I'd read this to you. They took a survey and they went through and they found out what do you think the perfect pastor looks like? Are you ready for this? Because, again, could you see Bob on the worship team? No, that's a no. Could you see him in the nursery? The, the numbers would all be up there. All you parents would have to be ran out and get your kids. 
It's like, what's wrong with Pastor Bobby? Can't even hold the babies. He's not good at that. So here's what your pastor would look like. He preaches his sermons in exactly 20 minutes, but expounds on the word for 90. Frequently condemns sin, but never upsets anyone. Works from 8 a.m. until midnight. Serves as the church facilities manager and mows the lawns each week. Makes $100 a week, wears nice clothes, buys good books, drives a nice car, and gives $500 a week to the church. Is 28 years of age and has been preaching for 40 years. Is wonderfully handsome, we'll give him that. Speaks boldly on social issues, but must never become politically involved. Has a burning desire to work with teenagers and spends all of his time with senior citizens. Makes 15 calls a day church members, visits the shut-ins in the hospital, spends all his time evangelizing the unchurched, and is always in his office when needed, and last, prepares three to four inspiring lessons weekly from his lengthy hours in study. Not. I mean, you just can't have one person doing all that, which is why we need all of you involved, connect group leaders, all the way back, everything I mentioned. So with that in mind, Jenica, I... <laughs> Has her ladies' night out tonight, connect group. So you're going to want to be there 5 o'clock. They meet out in kids' church. They have an awesome time. You don't want to miss it. So that's one of our groups. And if you want to get involved in anything else I mentioned, find these people. They're great. And Kyle over there is getting ready to take out youth today. So, I mean, we just have a lot going on here. Okay, and then February 17th, the youth are having a hide-and-seek night. Now, here's the cool thing. Bring a friend, bring some water, bring a jacket. But they have the whole campus, and they get these kids together, and they have a blast. It's very, like adults should be able to come to that, Kyle. Do you ever get adults coming? You turn them away. I used to be, I used to climb eucalyptus trees with this sport. It is a sport. So if you have a kid in, in junior high or high school, you want to get them over there, listen, they feed them, they on them they put they have a great time they study the word so get them involved in youth all right and next sunday who knows what it is it's jersey sunday we're having a barbecue uh it's going to be amazing so let me show you some pictures well first of all give me those jersey pictures see jerseys okay give me another one and another one there you go so let me show you this so i went out years ago jerseys are expensive and so i went to the store and i got i got number 89 a Cooper. So when I put him on, everybody booed me. Apparently, he's not well-loved. Uh, he's part of the Raiders, and so I thought, well, gee, that's not going to work. So I went out and got another one that says Beckett, number one, and tennis on the top. So here's the thing. Whatever your sport is, find a shirt and wear it, okay? We're going to go out. Now, here's the thing, too. How many of you like barbecuing? Okay, okay, show, look, look at that picture. Okay, give me the next one. I know, look at that. Does, but look, at it, it's getting you in the mood. That's what we're having. Just saying, look how good that looks. So, you know, hang around, come me. No, you don't get the steak or the chicken, but we're having tube steaks, and it's going to be a lot of fun. <sighs> okay, are you ready for the offering? All right, here we go. And plus, they get hot links. I checked with, with Alexis. I go, you make sure you get some links on that grill out there because they're really, people stand in line for those. All right. How many of you ever heard of a guy named Moran Cerf? He's a professor of neuroscience 
and he studies brains. And what he found out was when you get a whole bunch of people together like this, after a while, are you ready for this? Their brains start lining up, and they start kind of thinking the same. And he said a good example is like when you're in a big auditorium and someone tells a joke, even if it's a crummy joke and people laugh, everybody laughs. It, it's like contagious. Or how many of you are in like a grocery store and you smile at somebody coming down the aisle and what do they do? Like, like smile at the person next to you. Did, did they smile back? Yeah, I mean, you just, you, you, you just can't help it. Sometimes I watch TV and there's a person on there that I don't like and they're talking in the TV. I mean, I really don't like them because I don't like their politics, and they, but they're smiling and I catch myself smiling at them and I go, stop that. That is not a person to smile at. But you just can't help it because your brains are linking up. So check this verse out. Here's Proverbs. Become wise by walking with the wise. Hang out with fools and watch your life fall to pieces. Don't hang out with those people. 1 Corinthians 15.33. Do not be deceived. Bad company ruins or corrupts good character. So here's the deal. This is why we come to church. This is the best place for your kids, your young adults, your teens, and you because you're around like-minded people who build your faith. So years ago, there was a guy that came to Bob, and he had a, a beautiful family. He had two teenagers, a daughter and a son, and they came here consistently. And he came to Bob one day, and he said, I have a tractor business, and I, I just I have to have more business. I'm just not making it. So Bob stopped and prayed. God, we pray prosperity on him. We pray, pray blessing. And Lord, bring him work. He's willing to work. So pretty soon, this guy had work coming in like crazy, more than he could almost handle. So church became kind of hit and miss. So Bob called him up, and I'll call him Jack. It's like, Jack, where you been? He goes, man, Pastor, I just, I just have so much work. I, all this tractor business, I don't know what to do. And he said, well, we really miss you at church. He goes, oh, we're, we'll be back. I'm just so busy. I'm just so busy. Well, they stopped coming. So a fair amount of time went by, and Bob was a chaplain in the city, which still is. And so he got a call early one morning, like 6 in the morning. And BJ Sporting Goods used to be over on Yale and Florida. Guns and ammo and fishing equipment and jeans and really cool stuff, and Bob loved that store. But anyway, he got called down there, and there was a fire in the store. So it turns out three guys were in there robbing the store. And they thought by escaping, they could set it on fire and distract everybody, and they would get out. But everybody was already surrounded the place. So they kept saying, you guys, come out, come out. You know, you set it on fire. What were you thinking? So two of the guys surrendered, came out in the back door. I think there was an alley behind there. They went out. The third guy would not come out, and he died in the fire. So later on, they all went in, and they drugged the body out, and it was Jack's son, this amazing teenager who used to go here. And we were brokenhearted as a congregation. They had just pulled their family out of fellowship. They pulled their family out of everything good that those kids could have been involved in. And so we went down, I think it was Miller Jones Cemetery, uh, the funeral home. I think the whole congregation showed up. And I remember they had a long hallway at the time and to, to view and then to greet the family. And we filled it all the way out the front doors. It was very sad. But there we all were just loving on this family. It was so tragic. But, you know, I always tell people, hang around like-minded people of faith because I'm telling you it will make a difference in your lives. It will make a difference in your children's life and your youth, youth kids' life because you get encouraged here. This is contagious. 
Moran Surfer is exactly right. Like-minded people are contagious with each other. You start thinking more faith. Don't you go out of here on Sunday mornings going, man, I can conquer the world. I'm going to go get somebody saved. I do. I always do. Because this is the place that happens. So I say that to say this for offering. There is not a better thing that you could put your money into than your local church. We, we are. We have a school. We do so much here. Thank you guys for doing it. Couldn't do it without you. It takes more than one person doing it. It takes everybody pitching in to have a body of believers like this and keep it going. So put your tithe offering up in the air. Let's pray over it. Ask God to multiply and bless you. So, Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you for every single person here. Number one, that they're here. We ask that you bless them. You just, Lord, multiply whatever they're giving. Let $1 do the work of 10. Let 10 do the work of 100. And, Lord, help us as we change this valley, as we change people, as we come together like-minded, building each other up in the most holy faith, as the word says. And, Lord, we thank you for that. In Jesus' mighty name, and everybody said amen. Okay, come on down. There is a river where goodness flows. There is a fountain that drowns sorrow. There is an ocean deeper than fear. The tide is rising, rising. There is a current stirring deep inside. It's overflowing from the heart of God. The flood of heaven rushing over us. The tide is rising. Ready for God's Word? Hold your Bibles up. Say this with me out loud. This is my Bible. It's the living Word of God. has the power to change lives. And I declare by faith that my life and your life will be changed by the Word. Go to the book of Acts. Go to the book of Acts and go into a holding pattern. Here we go. Now, you know we've been in a series, so go to chapter 10. And uh, we've been in a series, and uh, this is the last of the series, and it's a series called Plumbed for the Future. And I've been talking to you, and I'll do this one last time, about plumb bobs. And we've learned in this series that any place on earth where you hang a plumb bob, that point points to the center of the earth. No matter where you are on earth, it will point to the same place. And the only way the ancients could have built buildings that were perfectly square was that they had to use a plumb bob. 
They didn't have laser-guided uh, levels, and you know uh, they didn't have bubble levels at the time in most cases, even though they did know about liquid levels. And so we've learned that in the series that I had, I can't find it, I had it back here backstage, I had a Bible, as you know I've done in each, each part of the series, hanging from this, and I've said, this is God's plumb line, the Word of God. That if we're going to live our lives square and straight to the purposes of the kingdom and be built together as, remember, it says in the New Testament, we are living stones. So if we're going to be built together in a square wall, square building, squared off to the purposes of the kingdom of God, you have to plumb your life according to the scriptures. The problem is that all too many Christians seldom ever read their Bible and seldom ever follow it, and they do this. They cut themselves off from the Word. And it's not that they don't believe in the Word. It's not that they don't believe in the Bible. It's just no longer the most important document in their life. The Bible is more important than the document of the Constitution of the United States of America. We won't go there anymore. We just know that this, <laughs> I was going to use the word Trump, but I <laughs> I'm going to use it anyway, so don't go political on me. This trumps everything in the sense that it is more powerful, more relevant, real and applicable to our life than anything else life has to offer. And so it's through this that we live our lives and live our lives together as living stones. Remember the New Testament says, we are living stones cut out by God and measured by Him. Now, um, I want to remind you in the process as we get going this morning that uh, don't minimize this series on the Constitution and the Bible. You may think that's going to be boring. Trust me, it's not going to be boring, and it's going to be very relevant. Um, this last week, you know we have a pastor's fellowship, and they meet in my office every Wednesday, and it's crossed denominational boundaries and barriers, Pentecostals to Baptists to Lutherans to whatever the case is, every denomination you can almost imagine in independence. And we come together and we pray together because the pastors in this valley have one mind, one heart, that it's about Jesus. It's not about man-made doctrine. And so we come together. And so last week, uh, no, two weeks ago, we had a group of pastors show up from the Inland Empire over the hill over Beaumont, Banning, Redlands, and San Bernardino. And they showed up at our meeting. We didn't know they were showing up. They, they just showed up. So, oh, hi, guys. Well, come on in. This is for pastors. We're pastors. Come on in and sit down. And I said to you last week, they said, we're here because we heard something's going on. That we have a born-again police chief, born-again city council, mayor's born-again, shows up every once in a while. We have, I mean, God's moving through the valley. God's moving. He is genuinely moving in the political arena. I mean, city manager. I mean, across the board, it's incredible. And things are beginning to happen. So I'll say it again real quick. We took about 20 minutes to explain to them everything that was going on. And then, as I said to you last week, he turned to them after 20 minutes and says, so what do you think? And they said, 
we have exactly the same thing happen. Exactly, to the T, the same thing that's going on here. And we all kind of looked at each other kind of like, hmm, God's up to something. Huh? How many of you know God's sneaky? Huh? He's sneaky. And he'll pull off his plan one way or the other. And so we decided to show up at their meeting last Wednesday morning. So three of us, Pastor Gary Johnson, Calvary Chapel, Hemet, uh, Pastor um, Chris Engel of Bible Fellowship Church, and myself, we showed up in the meeting with uh, 24 other pastors meeting in their group. And we sat around, and I want to tell you, it was life-changing. Remember what I told Susan? That was life-changing. Because we were sitting there with people, with brothers in the Lord that were raw, open, hungry, same heart, same mind. Um, and every one of them leading people to Jesus, passionate about telling people about the kingdom of God. And we sat there for two and a half hours. And everybody poured their heart out. And brothers going through things that are almost unimaginable. I mean, the hardships, the struggles, the medical, the financial, the relational, the not a one of them. Not a one of them flinched. That every single one of us said, we don't care what we have to go through. And no matter what the world throws at us, we can't be bought, we can't be sold, we can't be bribed, we can't be threatened. We are going to do the kingdom of God. Now, it was gut-wrenching uh, to hear about the financial struggles and the relational issues and spouses that have gone through cancer and survived. Um, children gone awry, whatever the case is. But not one of them were willing to flinch. And everyone said, no matter what the cost is, we will not back up about the message of Jesus. And we're, we're never going to be silent. You know, it reminds me, and, and as I was sitting there, Hebrews 10.25 says, Not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. Each one of those pastors said, yes, there are people that still go to the church, but there are so many that since COVID have shied away. It's not that they're not believers. It's just that they've lost their passion to lead people to Jesus, to tell people how to find their way into eternity and into eternal life. And so as we gathered in our series, I shared with some of them about the Plum Line series, and I want to remind you that Jesus said in Matthew eleven fifteen, he that has ears to hear, let him hear. People like you are hearing a sound. You're hearing a message that's not a sermon. It's life-giving. And it's powerful. And it's changing lives. And it's changing views of the world. 
while the world's going crazy. And that people are committing everything but murder and are getting out the same day. No bail. Beating up police officers. Robbing stores. I've said to you over and over, you go into, into Home Depot or Lowe's, and you can walk in, grab whatever you want, throw it in a cart, walk out the door, and they will not stop you. And the culture has come to the place where God is now stirring people just like you that are saying, no matter how crazy the world goes, we're plumbed according to God's word. We're going to live to win souls to see people find their way into the kingdom of God because we sense and we feel Jesus may well be coming back very soon. I kind of, how many of you would like to see that happen, huh? Okay. Revelation 2.17 says this in our series. He that has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says unto the churches. Notice it's plural. Not to a church, to the churches, those who are listening. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not thinking of any other church, but there are churches that aren't listening. And it's incumbent that we understand what he says. He that has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says unto the churches. To him that overcomes. Now, when you have to overcome something, that means you're going through something. When I said what I said to you at the break, and 36, 37 of you raised your hand, you're going through something, let me encourage you. Susan, we're going through something right now, aren't we? You and I are going through something. They're going through something. Guess what? We are going to go through it. We're going to finish it and come out the other side winners. So we understand that in Revelation, he says, He that has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says unto the churches, to him that overcomes. Well, I give to eat of the hidden manna, and will give him a white stone, and in the stone a new name written, stone, plumbed stone that has not been cut off, a plumb stone to the Scriptures, and a new name which is written, and no man can, uh, can take it from you. In other words, God has labeled you, you personally, as individuals. God has put a name on you. And as he carves you out according to the scriptures, and he squares you and plumbs you to the purposes of the kingdom, he scores that name on you. Now, you don't know it, and nobody else knows it. And I don't know what my name is. I don't know what Susan's name is. I don't know what your name is, but I know it's a good name. And one of these days, after you've served well, you're going to step over the other side, and you're going to know your name. And so it's important that the one who wrote that about being written on a stone is the same one, the same finger that wrote on tablets with Moses the Ten Commandments. The same finger of God that wrote out the Ten Commandments on stone tablets is written on your stone. And he has a name. And I don't know what it is, and I don't think we should be pursuing that, but to understand it's significant, that he knows you. And that name describes who you are to him. Yours is different than mine and so forth and so on. 
And as we understand, we begin to see what God is doing. Could you bring the lights back up, please? It kind of went down. Um, so we understand that you're a living stone. And as a living stone, you have a purpose. You have a plan. Mine is different than yours, and yours is different from everybody else. And your life counts for something because God has written his name on you with a, with a meaning and with a value. And the world is doing everything it can to strip you of your meaning and your value. The world is telling you, just sit down, be quiet, you crazy Christians. You know, you all, and particularly those of you that are Pentecostal, charismatic, Baptist, Lutheran, Methodist, it doesn't matter. We named the name of Jesus. And your life counts for something. So as we talk about this and we deal with this, we understand that before we read sermon number four now, we're going to read it here in just a minute. And when you hear this sermon, it's a spontaneous word by Peter. And when you read this, take note that um, this sermon was preached not in a building. So there was no building, no heating, no air conditioning, no sound, no media, no creature comforts, just pure, raw conviction in an open environment where everybody could hear. Hebrews 10.25 says, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. There they are, assembling in public. And Peter said, doesn't say, where's the pulpit? And, well, you know, wait, wait, okay, everybody line up and sit in chairs. Nothing wrong with that. I just want you to hear and see the, the imagery of what we're going to read here in just a minute. So putting this together in a fourth spontaneous message in its context, there's no sectarianism. Now, I'm going to throw this word at you because sectarianism is what's been going on in the church in America. And sectarianism means this, cliquish, clannish, denominational membership of particular groups separated by non-redemptive ideals. Now, we don't like it because of the color of the walls. We don't like it because of the style of music. Can we, can we walk into a church as believers where they do everything different but have the same spirit, the same heart to win people to Jesus? That's the conviction that we seek and we look for. And so we're not, we're, we're not willing to compromise over non-redemptive issues. If you want to have chairs, you want to have pews, you want to do this, you want to do that, as long as it's not against the Bible, I don't care. Because God is raising up people just like yourself that are looking for some place, and there are many, where the word is being delivered in a way that people are stirred to win people to Jesus. There's no other name. 
there's no other name. No other name by which we're going to be called home. Whether it's in the rapture or whether it's in an individual personal event. There is no other name. And we are proud of that name and we are not ashamed of that name. And watching these pastors, all of us sitting there, gut-wrenching, pouring out their heart about the difficulties and the trials and the tribulations, not a one of them flinched. And I believe you're just like the same thing. You won't flinch. You won't pull away. You won't back away. You know, I, it's interesting. It's how you live your life. It's not you don't have a pulpit. I, forgive me if you, you've been here long enough to remember this. We've shared this before, but I'll do it real quick. But it's how you live your life. The pulpit is your life. And where you live it, at work in the marketplace. The, after I was born again, I was working in an engineering department of a company. And there was a guy by the name of Mike, and I'll do this real quick. Some of you know it. And, and, and Mike tormented me, tortured me. It was a drafting department, you know, and he, he hated me because I was a Christian. And I put my Bible up on the corner of my, my drafting table and, and you know, and, and all that kind of stuff. And he did everything, man. He pulled shenanigans on me. He would actually go in to some of the drawings I was work, working on and change them to get me in trouble. I mean, he hated me, hated me royal. And I, the day the Lord told me, you can leave here now and go here in another place. You can leave here and go to another place. I thought, hallelujah, I'm done with Mike. <laughs> so I go to work full-time in ministry, and um, they come to me, and they said on a Wednesday night, hey, you're on. You're going to preach Wednesday night. I'm busy. <laughs> no, 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 you're on. And I got up and preached my first sermon. And the words puddled on my tongue, hit my lips, and dribbled down on the floor. And, and I'm just absolutely freaking out. And I get to the end of it, and I go, okay, I know what I got to do. I got to do an altar call because that's what this church believes in. So it was a melody land. And so I had the altar call, and I closed my eyes, and I prayed, and if you want to give your life to Jesus, and I opened up my eyes, and there's Mike. Mike's standing right there. And I went, Mike, what are you doing here? <laughs> I wasn't schooled yet, Okay. <laughs> and long and the short of it, he said, Bob, later he said, I, I just couldn't deny your life. I did everything I could to make you miserable. And you didn't retaliate. You just lived something, and I want that. And I want Jesus. The very first person I ever had a chance to, to win to Jesus. Oh, that's... Thank you, that's gracious of you, but I, I didn't do it for that. Uh, but to say, how you live your life in the marketplace and in the workplace makes a difference to people even when they hate you. And you know why they hate you? Because they can't shut you down. They can't shut you. They may be able to keep you from 
talking or preaching the gospel, but they can't keep you from living the gospel. And so in the process, we understand that to, to jump into sermon number four. Are you ready? All right, here we go. Acts chapter 10. How much time have I got? Where are we going to go? Oh, Jesus. Let's go to verse 24 and we'll go quick. Ready? Say, I'm ready. Verse 24, chapter 10. Now, this is after, um, after this has all taken place, we talk about Cornelius. And on the morrow, tomorrow, after in, entering into Caesarea, and Cornelius waited for them and had called together his kinsmen and near friends. So remember we talked about Cornelius? Now, listen to what happens. And Peter was coming in to Cornelius, and he fell down at his feet, and he worshiped him. Now, here's what happens. Let me set this up. Peter gets word that there's this Roman centurion. He's a Roman soldier. And he's converted to Judaism from hedonism. And what happens is Cornelius hears about Peter and his preaching. And he says, I need whatever this guy's got. He's a Jew now. He's not a Christian. And he's a Roman centurion, a soldier of great authority with soldiers under him. Now listen to what happens. And Peter was coming into Cornelius, met him, and fell down at his feet. Now, when Peter shows up at Cornelius' house, this is how this goes. Peter is on the rooftop of Simon the Tanner's house. You read it later. He's on the rooftop of Simon the Tanner's house at about 3 o'clock in the afternoon. And he's up there, and he suddenly has a visitation from an angel. He has a vision. And the angel says to him, uh, this is what I want you to do. I want you to go to Cornelius' house. And he's probably thinking, dude, wait a minute. <laughs> the Roman centurion. And he's a Jewish convert. Way, way, way. And the angel says, this is what I want you to do. Peter said, well, confirm it. As you read the story, you find out at about the same time, not exactly the same time, but within a day's time, Cornelius is praying because he's now converted to Judaism, and he's in prayer, and an angel shows up to him. And this, I, probably the same angel says, uh, send for Simon, send for Peter. I, want, I need for you to call Peter to your house. Okay, I'll do that. So what he does is he sends several of his soldiers to Simon the Tanner's house, not knowing where Peter's at. And the soldiers show up, and there's Peter. And Peter says, guys, is everything okay? It's like two cops showing up at the door, you know? Uh, is everything okay? And he said, well, yeah, um, Cornelius, and Peter's probably thinking, mm -hmm. okay, yeah, he wants to see you. And Peter, you got to remember, has just had a vision, and in that vision, he sees all kinds of unclean animals that were forbidden to be eaten, and unclean things, not morally, but religiously, and he sees all, Peter sees this, and the angel says to Peter, don't be afraid to speak to and touch unclean things. Got it? 
So now Peter's going, okay, I guess I can go to Cornelius' house because he's a Roman a soldier and it would be okay. So Peter kind of puts this together. Go talk to the unclean guy. Are you with me? So he does. He shows up at Cornelius' house. Pick it up again, verse 25. And Peter was coming into Cornelius and met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. And Peter took him up and said to him, uh, Stand up, I myself am a man. And as he talked with him, he went and he found many others that came together. And he said unto them, You know how that it is unlawful, uh, an unlawful thing for a man that is a Jew to keep company <laughs> with a Christian. Watch this. Uh, or any other nation, and that God hath showed me that I should not call any man uncommon or clean, unclean. Therefore came I unto you without gainsaying. Now, I didn't ask any money. I didn't ask why. Listen to what Peter's going to do. And I unto you without gainsay, as soon as I went and I sent for you, I asked therefore for what intent you have sent for me. In other words, What's the deal? What's, what's, what's the gig? Oh. And Cornelius said, Four days ago I was fasting until this hour, and at the ninth hour I prayed in my house, and behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing, an angel, and said, Cornelius, thy prayer is heard, thine alms are uh, had in remembrance in the sight of God. So in other words, the angel says, Cornelius, I heard you praying at your house, and at your house you were praying that God would send Peter. Got it? 32. Then therefore Joppa called hither Simon, whose surname is Peter, and he lodged in his house, and Simon the tanner by the seaside, who went forth and came, and he spoke unto thee. Immediately therefore I said to thee, Thou hast well done that thou art come. In other words, thank you for coming, Peter. Really appreciate it. I realize this must have been hard for you because as a Roman soldier, you're afraid of me. And then as a Jew, a Hebrew, you would now consider me unclean. Watch this. Now, therefore, art we all present before God to hear all things that are commanded thee of God. In other words, he says, tell me, what, what's going on? I want to fill me in. Pick it up. You okay for a little more? Say yes, because I'm going to do it anyway. Okay. Then Peter opened his mouth and said, now, here's, here's the fourth sermon that still shakes the world if you read it properly. Listen to what he says. Then Peter opened his mouth and said, of a truth I perceive that God is no respecter of persons. There is no one, I don't care, from the Ayatollahs to whoever, God sees every human being as valuable and precious and important to be pursued. There are no exceptions to that. There are no exceptions to that. You say, well, how do you know that? Well, God chose you. Okay. Then Peter opened his mouth and said of a truth, I perceive that God is no respecter of persons, but in every nation, he that feareth him and worketh righteousness is accepted with him. And the word of God, which was sent unto the children of Israel, preached in peace by Jesus Christ 
that the word I say now, which was published throughout all Judea and began from Galilee after the baptism which John preached. Now watch what he's going to say. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power and went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. He lays out the gospel. Now, I'm not going to finish the rest of this. I'm going to give you some homework. You go home and you read the rest of what he says. Because when you do, it'll no longer be a sermon from me. Are you with me? You understand that? Now, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. I'm not going to ask you to say anything. Just promise me you will. Okay? Promise me you will. Now, here's the point. God sets up Peter and Cornelius. Peter lays down the fourth gospel message that today still rocks the world. And if we understand that in Acts, it tells us that he's preached the message, and I want to set this up for you so you and I understand that church is about coming together to be encouraged, to be plumbed, not so you can be plumbed to God's word and you look good in the mirror, but so that other people look at you and see the reflection of Jesus. You and I, in the marketplace, in the workplace, in the neighborhood where you live, the people you're in contact with, because you are, in essence, the image of God's Word and His Savior to the world. And that is something significant when you begin to realize while the world has minimized your value, God has run your value all the way up to the kingdom. And you have a purpose and you have a meaning. And you know what your purpose is? Is to show Jesus to everybody else without any fear. What is it that keeps you and I no, I'm not going to say me. I'm sorry, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that self-righteously or righteously. What keeps maybe you from living so boldly for Jesus that Roman soldiers will call for you? The people that are supposed to hate you and I look at us and say, I don't know what they know, but I want to know what they know because there's something different about them. There's something real about them. That your life counts. You represent eternal life and the kingdom of God. Your life, your actions, our choices, our decisions. Say, well, man, that's a heavy burden. Yeah. But it's the burden we all bear. After I... I sitting with all those pastors and sitting there, and I'm telling you before God, sitting there thinking, I'm with all these pastors. What in God's holy name could we do if the people that attend our congregation would take that message, find that passion, find that hunger that the value of your life in God's eyes is measured by your willingness to live
plumbed according to his word. To live what God's word says. To not compromise and not be casual. But to burn. Burn with a passion. Like you can go to Simon the Tanner's roof and pray and God shows up and says, hey, Bob, I got somebody in San Jacinto. You got it? That, that God can speak to you. And then you see the people around you, your neighborhoods, to evangelize your neighborhood. What's the value? What's, what's the purpose? What's the goal? What's the objective? What, what is this all about? What, what's the church about? If it's not about winning people to Jesus, then it's just another religious club. So, having said that, I want to show you something. It's only a few minutes long. I was going to try to communicate it to you, but Susan pointed out, you can't do it as good as he did. <laughs> and she's right, because I watched it four times. And I'm not exaggerating. I sat in my office at home. Now, there's God. Give me that heart. Give me that heart. Give, give us that passion that we share with everybody everything and we hold nothing back. So please watch this and I'll come back and finish. Do you want your life to count? You don't have to have a high IQ and you don't have to have a high EQ. You don't have to be smart. You don't have to have good looks. You don't have to be from a good family or from a good school. You just have to know a few basic, simple, glorious, majestic, obvious, unchanging, eternal things and be gripped by them and be willing to lay down your life for them, which is why anybody in this crowd can make a worldwide difference, because it isn't you. It's what you're gripped with. But one of the really sad things about this moment right now is that there are hundreds of you in this crowd who do not want your life to make a difference. All you want is to be liked. Maybe finish school, get a good job, find a husband or a wife, a nice house, a nice car, Long weekends, good vacations, grow old, healthy, have a fun retirement, die easy, no hell. And that's all you want. And you don't give a rip whether your life counts on this earth for eternity. And that's a tragedy in the making. That is a tragedy in the making. 
About three weeks ago, we got news at our church that Ruby Eliason and Laura Edwards were killed in Cameroon. Ruby Eliason, over 80, single all her life, a nurse, poured her life out for one thing, to make Jesus Christ known among the sick and the poor in the hardest and most unreached places. Laura Edwards, a medical doctor in the Twin Cities, and then in retirement, partnering up with Ruby, also pushing 80, and going from village to village in Cameroon. And the brakes give way, over a cliff they go, and they're dead instantly. And I asked my people, is this a tragedy? Two women in their 80s, almost, a, a whole life devoted to one idea, Jesus Christ magnified among the poor and the sick in the hardest places. And 20 years after most of their American counterparts had begun to throw their lives away on trivialities in Florida and New Mexico, fly into eternity with a death in a moment. Is this a tragedy, I asked. It is not a tragedy. I'll read you what a tragedy is. I've got a little article here from Reader's Digest. You don't read Reader's Digest, I know that. But there is a generation who does. This is a tragedy. Title of the article, Start Now, Retire Early, February 1998. Bob and Penny took early retirement from their jobs in the Northeast five years ago when he was 59 and she was 51. Now they live in Punta Gorda, Florida, where they cruise on their 30-foot trawler, play softball, and collect shells. That's a tragedy. That's a tragedy, and there are people in this country that are spending billions of dollars to get you to buy it. And I get 40 minutes to plead with you, don't buy it. With all my heart, I plead with you, don't buy that dream. The American dream, a nice house, a nice car, a nice job, a nice family, a nice retirement, collecting shells as the last chapter before you stand before the creator of the universe 
to give an account with what you did. Here it is, Lord, my shell collection. Look, Lord, my shell collection. And I've got a good swing. And look at my boat. God, look at my boat, God. Well, not for Ruby and not for Laura. Don't waste your life. Don't waste it. You know, it really is incumbent on us to understand that church isn't what it's all about. It's being the church. Being living stones plumbed according to God's word and capturing the mics that aren't paying attention, we think, but they're watching every move you make. They hear, they hear, every, they hear every sound in your voice. We had a, we had a uh, credit card. Um, we only have one, basically. And, well, we have two. And we have one of our credit cards was hacked. And um, so we, we called it in, and they, they, you know, they did their thing on it, shut the card down. And uh, so I called in to uh, activate the card, new cards when they came back, and uh, talked to some guy from Georgia. And um, we got in a car, you know, he said, oh, okay, let me look up your account. I said, so where are you, where are you at? So I'm in Georgia. I said, what's the weather like? And he said, oh, man, it's raining here. And then he goes, no, we ain't talking. And he says, man, you're in Georgia, man. Do you eat crawdads? You know? He goes, yeah, they don't have crawdads in California, do they? You know? And I said, they do, but they're hiding someplace, Okay. <laughs> and he started laughing, and uh, we talked, and I, you know, so we had a good time. We kind of chuckled, and he goes, I'm sorry it's taking so long. I said, I'm not in a rush, man. Don't worry about it, you know. So uh, are you married? Yeah, you know. Uh, having kids? Yeah, yeah. And they started talking about the kids. And well, good. You know, is life treating you okay? Well, we're getting through all this stuff that's going on with our country. We just had a good conversation. And so finally he said, okay, cards are activated. They're good to go. And I said, um, man, it's, it, you know, I'm, I'm glad to get a chance to talk to you. And I don't know if I'll ever see you again. Maybe, I don't know, I'll see you on the way up. And he goes, are you going up? <laughs> and I said, I'm going up. He said, well, I'm going up. <laughs> and so we had a good conversation. And the end of it, he goes, you know, this is the best call I've had all day. You know why? Because people just want to be loved. They just want to be treated with respect. And he said when he and he said when he finished the call, he said, I didn't know how this call was gonna go, but he said, I hope the rest of them go this way. And he said, Thank you for having a good attitude. Because I talked to so many people that have such a bad attitude. You want you want there are Corneliuses calling your cell phone right now in your life and all they want to do is hear what why do you live the way you live why do you believe what you believe and how can i have that and that's the greatest thing i can say to you as we finish this series out now 
that you live your life plumbed to God's Word. And you live it recognizing that people are watching you in the workplace, in the neighborhood, in the marketplace, and that something is going on and God's speaking to people about you to them and about them to you. And would you be willing on the whim of a prayer to climb down off of Simon the Tanner's house and go to a Roman soldier's house not knowing what was coming, but knowing that, and I'm sure Peter must have thought, well, this may be the last chance I get, so maybe I'll drag Cornelius into the kingdom, when in fact God had something bigger. What's your shell collection? What are you, what's holding you back? What's keeping you from doing what needs to be done? I'm not saying that in a condemning way, and I don't know who you are. But if there's a conviction going on in your heart right now, and there's something stirring inside of you, and there's something inside of you that says, I want that. I want, I want what those two ladies who, who walked away from careers and marriages, neither one of them ever married. They gave up the opportunity for families and careers to serve people into the kingdom. If God's convicting you, you may already be doing it, and I applaud you for that. But if you're being convicted right now that you need to go to the next step in your life, with your life, and you're ready to say, I don't have a shell collection, but and you feel convicted, that you're ready to let God take you to a place in serving the kingdom and sharing the message of Jesus, then I'm here. While people are standing in the room and you're watching online, and God's convicting you and convicting you in your heart, don't be condemning. Be encouraged. God has a plan for your life. He has a purpose for your life. And you're not just going to finish life, you're going to finish well. And if you're in there and you're watching in the living room or in your office someplace, stand. You're worthy. Count of three. Don't stand after three. If you're going to stand, you stand now. One, two, two and a half. One, two, three. Go around and lay hands on them right now. Come on, get, lay hands on them. We're going to pray for them. Come on. Lay hands on them. You're watching online. I'm going to pray for you right now. God, touch you and be with you right now. If you're in that room alone, God, help you. 
Heavenly Father, I'd ask you right here, right now, would you bring the fire of evangelism? Would you bring the burden of an evangelist that even though they may not be called with the office of an evangelist, would you give them the heart of an evangelist? Would you give them a hunger to lead people to Jesus, not out of religious sense of duty, but like Ruby and her friend, out of passion and out of hunger to see lives change, altered and taken into eternal life. We thank you for doing this to us, and we thank you for doing this through us. In Jesus' name, and all of God's people said, give God a praise. Would everybody stand for just a moment? <clears throat> you know what? When you leave here today, go, go hunt somebody down and lead them to Jesus. We love you. God bless you. Have a great day.